the podcast critics have spoken. Has this guy ever actually interviewed anyone before? And? Wow, that was long. And? I don't have time to listen. Very busy. Sounds like this podcast isn't winning any awards anytime soon. Uh, he did win an award in 2011. Stop living in the past. What else with Corey Mann? Wherever podcasts are sold. Isn't it free? Part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Recorded live. You know, at the time of uh, recording. You're listening to the Hot Takeout Podcast. The only podcast with a 30 minutes or less guarantee, or it's free. And now your host, Chad Bradley. Can I take your order? I have to say, I'm impressed with you for sticking around so many weeks on the Hot Takeout Podcast. This show, part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network, you can find your favorite podcast at Spreaker.com forward slash Studio DNA. A ton of great shows there, I might add. So great news for you that you're listening this week. There's going to be a giveaway very soon. And the way to know exactly what I'm giving away, hint, it's going to be a vinyl record and a gift card to a very popular fast food restaurant. You'll have to follow on social media to find that out. And the reason I'm not just saying it out loud, what it is, what gift card it's for, and what album or albums, is because this podcast could be around for years, and I don't want people thinking that if they listen 10 years from now, I'm going to give them the exact same thing. It might not be cool then, but it's cool now. Follow on social media. Just search Hot Takeout Pod. Follow on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and then you'll know what's being given away and when it's being given away. Uh, My guest this week, Austin French. He's in his mid-20s, and he's already accomplished so much. He's been on three separate television shows that you've heard of that isn't American Idol. He's got a debut album out called Wide Open. He's a husband and a father of two young boys. And most importantly, he once bought me Starbucks. Thank you for joining me. And then also, more importantly, thank you for the Starbucks that you bought me the last time we were together. (laughs) You know, caffeine is important. And so I knew you were in need. And uh, you can't you can't leave a brother down when he's down like that. So <laughs> you knew I was in need, and more importantly, you said that you got points for it. So I'm not sure your motives there. <laughs> That's true. You know, I really like because of that the points to put me over that day. I got a free drink next time. So it's like a pay it forward <laughs> thing. Oh man, I'm so glad to be a part of your story and caffeine intake. <laughs> Thank you. So I should be thanking you for the free drink. Anytime, anytime you want to buy me a drink, that's great. So you, uh, you're out on the road right now with Casting Crowns and Zach Williams, and you guys are just about to wrap up that tour? Yeah, man. It's been, uh, so we have 37-show tour, uh, almost like two and a half to three months uh, of being out on the road. And we're about to wrap it up. We have one more weekend in Texas, and it's been the most incredible tour I've ever been a part of. Wow, that's awesome. So you are going to go home after this and spend how much time at home before you're out the door again? Yeah, man, uh, I'm tired, and I so I just need I need some family time. I need some R and R with my my wife and kids. So we're taking off the day I get home uh, from bus call. We're going down to Florida for like a week and a half or a week or so, and um, just kind of chilling with the family. And then I'm back out, kind of in the beginning of May, not beginning of May, end of May, um, starting it all kind of over again, doing one off of festivals and and things like that. So, but. I I kind of learned last year and and to kind of structure not just like one family vacation a year. It's kind of like hey, I go pretty crazy for a couple months on tour or shows, and then I'll just take a week 
and every now and then, like every two months or every three months or something like that, I just take it off. Like nothing on the calendar, just to spend with the family. Um, and so I'm excited to do that at the end of this tour for sure. So it's almost like swimming where you, you go for a little while with your head underwater and you're moving a lot and then you just got to just for a minute, take up, pull your head up and get a breath. Dude, absolutely. And if you don't, you drown. A pastor kind of told me this once, like as an artist, you're constantly pouring out and God kind of tells us that we're these vessels, these empty vessels, and he's the one who fills us up. But if the hole at the bottom of the vessel is bigger than what it's being poured into it, it's like if more is being poured out than poured in, then you're going to run on empty and there's nothing going to be filling you up at all. And it's going to be pretty meaningless. And so if you don't take that breath, if you don't take that moment just to fill back up again, uh, you run into some pretty dangerous territory of running on empty. And I don't want to be there. But two minutes in, and I already feel like there's an altar call coming. I love it. <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I don't mean to jest, but seriously, like, I, it really is true. Like, you have to walk the line. You, you see it all over the place. People are like, you got to take me time. You got to do self-care. But really, realistically, you got to. Even Jesus did that in the Bible so many times where he's like, I'm going to separate myself from all these hooligans. I'm going to go get some rest. Man, it's, it's, it's perfect. You got to do that. Absolutely. I think we overvalue rest because it's all about what we can do for ourselves and what, what we can make happen. And, and I, and I hear that. Like I hear that people are fighting hard for their families and, and I'm preaching to myself here when I have to say, okay, there comes a moment when you have to put the phone away and there comes a moment when you have to realize that the people in front of you are more important at that moment than the people you're going to go sing to next, you know? And, um, so like making every moment just if you could live in a place of rest, I think that's where God kind of wants us to be. Is even Jesus, like, right, like, would go off and pray by himself, like you said. And and just understanding then those moments of uh, of just being filled back up again. Like, you're not going to be an effective leader or effective anything if you're uh, running on empty. Like, the car doesn't well run well if it's running on nothing. Uh, it, it will actually hurt the car if you run out of gas. So... We're kind of like that, too. We have to find the fuel. And for me, it's just that time with my family that I really need after just pouring out for so long. Absolutely. You got to take some time to recoup because then you're back out. And as an artist, that's literally your bread and butter. So take all the time you need. You said you're heading to Florida. That's home for you, yeah? Well, it, it kind of has a big place in our heart. Um, we live in Nashville, Tennessee now, but I moved to Nashville, Tennessee from a little town in South Florida called Delray Beach. Florida, and that's actually where we're going back. So we uh, we're a part of a church down there, part of just really amazing community. And so uh, they kind of just have a. It's actually uh, one of the elders at the church there. It was a dentist that lives like on a lake, like two miles from the beach, and um, and they have like a whole wing of their house that they don't really use much. And, and so we get to go down and kind of crash with them and uh, just see all of our family really again. That's so awesome that they have a wing of their house that they're like, no, no one's over there. Yeah, you just come. Well, you may not see us while you're here unless, uh, you know, unless the AC goes out, then you'll definitely see us over here. So when you guys traveled, will you go via plane or will you drive? You know, we rented a minivan last time we did this and it went really well. Flying with little guys can be a little stressful. Uh, the beautiful thing about driving with little guys is that there's usually a Chick-fil-A somewhere nearby. So <laughs> there is a playground uh, in the horizon that so we can bribe with that. 
uh, I've never seen a Chick-fil-A with a playground in an airport. So uh, until that happens, we'll probably be driving most of the places. Oh, man, that'll preach. That will preach. Uh, so road tripping as a family, do you guys, obviously Chick-fil-A, probably your your go-to, but okay, let me let me just throw this out here. It's the Hot Takeout Podcast. We have to talk about takeout for a second. Burger King just announced that they're rolling out something called the Impossible Burger. They actually tested it in in St. Louis. It's a vegetarian burger, which I already have trust issues with it. <laughs> They've actually announced that they're rolling this out to like almost every single one of their restaurants. It is not a burger. It is a vegetable sandwich, in my opinion. Uh, but they say that it's really hard to tell that it's not a burger, which I mean, quality of beef you get from from Burger King, give or take. Is that something you're going to try on the road trip? Uh, so, which is funny, we just played in St. Louis, and the guy that plays keys for me is a vegan, and he went to Burger King and ate three of these Impossible Burgers. I asked him just straight up, like, man, like, what's going on? Like, should I try this? I'm not vegan. I'm not vegetarian. Um, I, I like. To, to eat burgers and I like the chicken I like all that and he actually said that he said I couldn't believe that I was just eating vegetables in that case I could try it I'm up for new things I like trying new things especially out on the road I'm that guy that goes to a restaurant or a takeout restaurant and asks that person what can I get here that I can't get anywhere else now it's Burger King so if they're going to offer it everywhere then I could probably get it everywhere but it's definitely one of those things I could probably only convince myself to try it once, but I would try it. Yeah, I think you owe it to yourself to try it one time, not twice. You got to see. Yeah, I got to see and then be like, oh, yeah, the regular burgers are better. But still, I tried it. Are you the kind of person that there's just one food group that you don't try? Are you allergic to anything, any food restrictions? I am allergic to mustard. Random? Yeah, pretty random. Found out as a kid. There's this little place called the Pool Room, and we would go there after baseball games. They get chili dogs, and uh, sometimes chili cheese dogs, but mainly just chili dogs. And one day, I saw my buddy just squirt a ton of mustard on it. I'm like, hey, I should try that. And so I thought it was a thing to do, and uh, that was not a good day for me. It actually turned into not a good week for me. Um, and so, yeah, so... That's the day, about seven years old, seven or eight years old, I realized I cannot eat mustard ever. Um, and uh, I stick to that to this day. I like that. <laughs> I like that it's mustard and not like steak or something that you would really miss. Oh, yeah. I could live without mustard. Don't, don't yeah, get it's like, away from me. <laughs> like, sorry, you're allergic to broccoli. Mm, bummer. Oh, man, that one's going to hurt. <laughs> Um, is there anything that just out of preference you avoid? Like, I don't do fish at all. Uh, I don't like fish. Um, I'll eat it if I'm like, if I have to. But mainly, like, I hate mushrooms. Like, hate mushrooms and hate onions. It's a texture thing for me. And then also, it's a fungus thing for me. So, <laughs> like, texture is more on the onion side. Fungus, like, I can't, I just can't eat a fungus. Can't do it. Unless you saute it. If you put a lot of butter on it, man, I'm in. Yeah? Anything in butter. Like, there's some moldy cheeses I would deep fry in butter and be good. Yeah, anything deep uh, fried also turns out pretty okay. Yeah, that's that's something I can't get behind. Like, I can't spend too much time thinking about what cheese is because I really don't like spoiled milk. And just if I spend too much time, it's just bad. 
Well, definitely don't get started on cheese curds because that would even no. gross you more out. That, well, that's bad news. What's your go-to road meal that just makes you happy? Something you gotta have? Uh, don't judge me here, but it's it's definitely like I can eat anywhere if there's a Subway nearby. Subway foot long, sweet onion chicken teriyaki, little ranch, little chipotle southwest sauce, little sweet onion sauce. That will make me feel like I'm at home no matter where I'm at in the country. Did you ever work there? Never. Uh, my dad did, when I, but it was before I was born. So maybe like, maybe it was just like in my blood a little bit. And then as a kid, man, like at, when I was in the first bands I was ever in, that was our thing. We'd go to Subway, we'd do the $5 foot long thing, especially like going through puberty. Like we ate so much. And so I remember one night eating three foot longs at Subway uh, when I was like 16. And yeah, so it's just, it has good memories for me and uh I still love it to today. I know it's not not exactly fresh or uh or or uh just healthy. That it's really not that healthy, but I still really love it no matter where I'm at. It's like the illusion of health. Right. It's like, oh, it's a sandwich shop and uh possibly could lose weight, but when you eat three foot longs you're doing the opposite of losing weight. I'm gonna pull back the curtain for a minute. Back in the day, I was a sandwich artiste at Subway for just about eight months. And that is the only place, and I'm ashamed to say this out loud, it's the only time that I've been okay with messing with someone else's food. I sh I'm a terrible person. <laughs> what do you mean messing with other people's food? No, 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 not other people, not other people's foods, another person's food. I worked with this guy who... He thought he was the king of Subway and I was the new guy. And so he was like, all right, here's, here's my order, man. Make me a sub. And I was like, oh, so you, you just want to know if I can do it right? He's like, no, you're the new guy. I want you to make me a sandwich. And I was like, you want me to make you a sandwich just because I'm the new guy? It's like, yep, you pick that up real fast. And I was like, you know what? All right, it's going down. I promise you it's the only person I've ever messed with to this extent. But when I made his sandwich, I wiped my gloves on the bottom of my shoes, and then I made a sandwich. No, you did it. Man, it was before Jesus, before before I came to the Lord. Pre-Jesus, okay. Actually, I'm kidding. I grew up in the Baptist church. It was definitely after, but I feel bad about it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'm telling you, if you met this guy, you'd be like, yeah, give, it, give your shoe another trip, man. Give it another rub, because... This guy was, he was something else. Oh my gosh, I could not believe that. Well, you know, there's grace. There's grace there, Chad. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you're not defined by that anymore. <laughs> oh man, I love that. Thank you so much. I feel freedom in, we should play a song. Who the sun
great song. That was like really one of your, what's your first real big one at radio, yeah? Yeah, man. Uh, it's crazy, like, when radio got a hold of it, that song for me was almost three years old. Uh, and so it's just, like, it's that song that kind of had like a, a life before it came to radio, and then after radio it had this whole other life. Living on, um, for people even just hearing it for the first time now. But yeah, that was like the debut song for my first record. So I, I, it means a lot to me. You were on a couple of different TV shows. Which ones were those? Yeah, so I did The Voice, and then I did a show called Duets. Uh, and then finally I did a show called Rising Star, and that was on ABC television. And uh, that was in 2014. And, uh, yeah, man, it was a crazy experience doing three different TV shows uh, in the course of, like, three years of each other. And, man, I would not recommend doing a TV show to anyone. But I'm very grateful because it's it's a big piece of my story of why I am where I am today. So I got second place on the last TV show I did um, and met my manager through that story. And, uh, and that's kind of how all this really happened was – meeting the right person, meeting the right team, and uh, God used all those TV shows to kind of direct me to the right person, right team, uh, to really start this thing for me. You're absolutely right. Most of the time, it's it's running into the right person at the right time. It's not a lot about what you've accomplished. It's really knowing the right people. And I've experienced that time after time. What would you say is the most unique thing that happened while you're on one of those three TV shows? Really, like, it's a crazy story, but I, I kind of decided at the very beginning of this, that whole journey to kind of just stick to who I was. The biggest thing that I learned through uh, doing The Voice and Duet, the TV shows I did before the last one, uh, they kind of wanted to, like, mold me into who they wanted to, like, show on TV. And, uh, and in a really kind of weird way, like, it, it didn't feel honest, it didn't feel true to me. But I was desperate, and I was also like, man, this is my shot. I'm from a small town in Georgia. Like, obviously, like, I I don't know anyone in the industry, so they must know what they're talking about. And then the last show came around, and doing what everybody else wanted me to do didn't work out for two seasons of two other shows. So I decided, no, like, no more of that. I'm going to stick to who I am, and they either can hate me for it or they can love me for it. And so the first thing I did in the audition room was just I told this panel of judges for this last TV show for Rising Star, walked in the room and said, hey, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, you guys know what the gospel is. And they all laughed at me, and they're like, oh, we're, going, we're all going to hell. And I'm like, well, you don't have to. And here's the gospel, and I presented what he did for us, and they all laughed at me. But I, I planted that seed, at least that's what I thought. Um, I was like, okay, well, they're definitely not going to have me on this TV show, because I told them I'm a Christian. And I even went as far as to tell them that if I was ever in front of a camera or an interview or whatever it was, I was going to talk about Jesus. And uh, they were like, yeah, we've heard that before or whatever. And, and so it just kind of went on. Well, they asked me to do the TV show. Long story short, show is over. Um, and I stuck to what I talked about. I talked about Jesus in every interview to every judge, to every contestant, to every producer that I could. I wasn't always liked for it, but it just was what it was. And I share Jesus and the love that I experienced. And so through that process, like three years later, I'm at a, a show in Alabama, and there was a casting producer that 
who told me that day when I walked into the room that she was an atheist. So I, I was just, you know, just the on the cuckoo clan. Like, she was just like, oh, you're, you don't have no idea what you're talking about. And through the TV show, she would come and ask me questions about God. But three years later, um, I'm at a random show in Alabama, and around the corner comes this casting producer who flew all the way to Alabama from Los Angeles to come see me just to tell me that she gave her life to Jesus. And it was because of watching stories and listening to my record and watching what God did through me and those conversations that we had three years ago. And uh, and so, yeah, it's not even the things that I saw or the stages I was on that was the craziest thing that happened to me. It's, I got to see a seed that was so uncomfortable to plant in some really rocky soil with atheists and people who laughed at me because I followed Jesus. I got to see that come to completion and, and this lady give her life to Jesus because of it. So that was like the most rewarding thing uh, probably about the TV show. I've been waiting for this moment Heartbroken hands open I took my life and put that in God's hands I gave him all of me, all of my plans Now I'm set free, I know you showed up with the light show Started running when the chains broke, you saved me and you One thing I found is incredibly important, and I it, I try to model this for my kids, and it's it's pretty difficult. Is when because yeah, I, Jesus has done such a transformation in my life, but I'm I'm still a sinner living in a broken world. So there will be times where I'll fail, and I'll feel the weight of that failure, and I'll be like, I'm just not good. It did. Jesus didn't take as much as I thought he did. I need to pray a little bit harder. I need to do this. I need to do that. So I I think something that's so important is. Jesus did an amazing transformation in us, but more importantly, he did an amazing transformation for us in his sacrifice and basically making up the difference for our failures. Like we're still going to fail day to day, 
Uh, I heard someone say, you can sin less, but you'll never be sinless this side of heaven. And so for me, I know that I'm going to fail and I know that I'm not going to live up to the standard that the Bible has for me. And not that I'm throwing in the towel and be like, okay, well, if if that's the case, then I'm just going to soak up all this grace over here. But it's, it's, it's a hopeful light in the dark to go, okay, tomorrow morning, right now, no matter what I've just failed at, God's got me to help me start again. I think that's where the brightness comes is knowing that even, even in our failures, even if it's a daily failure, the brightness comes because of what Jesus did for us. I'm trying to make sure that I'm not treading too much on theological. Totally. I think, I mean, I think it's <laughs> sanctification. Like, I think it's, it's process, right? Like, and, and the goal is to always be looking more like Jesus. And like, obviously none of us are there yet. And like you said, I don't believe we'll be there on the side of heaven, but I think we can, we can try to get close. And that's kind of the goal is, is to look more like the person we get to spend time with. I completely agree. And I think the more you go on that journey, the, the closer you get to, to Jesus and the more you spend time with him, it may make the speed bumps or the failures fewer and far between. Right. But, but knowing that it's, it's such a tough thing because the reality is, is that if I sin today, God's forgiven it. And it's not giving myself permission to live there in the sin and to be like, I get to sin all the time. This is great because Jesus is just going to forgive me like a sucker as that's not Jesus. So I, I guess I'm saying all that because it's really easy to feel discouraged and beat yourself up and throw the towel in when you mess up and when you fall and when you stumble, instead of thinking of it as a race, like you fall on the race, but you got to get up and you still got to press on towards the finish line. Still have to finish the thing, even though you stumbled, just because you fell doesn't mean the race is over still happening. So I think it's dangerous to think that I can just live in grace and I can do whatever I want, but it's helpful to know that that Jesus does give us grace in our failures and in our shortcomings because we're still human and we're still going to make mistakes. Does that mean we should live there and we should focus on the grace and just suck that up? Maybe not as much as what it sounds like I'm saying, but I feel like it's so valuable to know that as a believer, when we do stumble, we can get right back up and Jesus doesn't look at us as, you know, poor sappy Austin can't keep it together down there. (sighs) He's not ashamed of us. It's so important to understand what grace is and embrace it, not abuse it. Right. Um, Like the best example I can give of that is like Jacob in the Old Testament when he wrestled with God and he became Israel, right? Like he wrestled with God all night and he lost and uh, he had to give up like he forfeit. And uh, he wrestled with him all night. And then what they did is they put a stone there to remember where he wrestled with God at. And so the fact that he lost against God was good because, like, obviously God had this plan for him. But I think sometimes we can treat our sin as this battle with God. And if we win or lose, like, we can be ashamed of it. But I think maybe it's more of like a godly grief of this thing that can remind us where we've been and what he saved us from or what he doesn't want us to do again, you know, as, as in a way, it's this way of this grace that's forgiven us because we've done something. But it's also this fact of we remember where we were and that the God had to actually send us something to die for it. And so we don't want to do it again, you know? Absolutely. And I'm, I don't mean to make light of sin or things that really pull people down because I really believe that we can't just live there. That can't be the place that we dwell on. People get 
real uptight real fast when you start talking about grace because they're like, yeah, but you, you want to walk away from that. You want to keep moving towards Jesus. Absolutely. That's the most important thing is to chase Jesus every day. But if you don't understand what grace is, when you fail at something, mm. you kick yourself and you stay down longer than you should or you walk away completely because you get suckered in by shame. And what, and that's the devil. That's where the devil's like, man, haha, I got you. you. You're feeling the shame of that. So I'm going to try and rephrase it because I don't want people to just think that, oh, Chad on the Hot Takeout podcast says you can do whatever you want and Jesus is just going to forgive you. He is. But I, I heard a pastor a long time ago say, love Jesus and do what you want. And that bothered me for a very long time. Mm until I realized that loving Jesus and pursuing Jesus, he changes your thoughts and your desires. Yeah. You still need a savior, but the things that you want as you love Jesus and you're pursuing Jesus become more like Jesus and more like his desires. Yeah. I, I've walked away too many times and stayed away longer than I needed to stay because I felt shame over, over my life choices. And so just knowing that Jesus gives us that grace to work through things, and to be there when we come through the other side, it's so helpful. It's so helpful to know that he's there for that. You know, we can, we can model, we can be like, yeah, this is, look what Jesus has done for me. And then, I mean, you look at pastors that, that fail and churches that fall apart and a lot of people that get hurt because who that pastor was, was everything to the people. And so when we put humans as like on a pedestal as the thing that's holy and we go, look, He's the perfect example that as long as you follow Jesus, you'll never sin. And then they sin and you're like, whoa, what is life? What is the meaning of life? It's off. <laughs> yeah, man, when I agree. We look at people. That was my whole thing with finding Jesus, actually. Like, my dad was a worship pastor and my parents got a divorce when I was eight. And you would have think, like, all the things I was taught as before eight years old was, you see who you are at home, but people at church, they don't, they can't handle this. Like, and, and Jesus doesn't want this at church. So like, you have to be perfect there. But then our life fell out and everything came out, you know, to the church. And we were asked never to come back again to that church. And mm. it was just, it was just so sad because I thought that the people, like, I, I didn't see it as the, really the people hurting me. Uh, obviously it hurt a lot and I was mad at people, but I thought, well, they're Christians and they follow Jesus, so this must be what Jesus is like. And that's the problem, is that no matter if it's a pastor, no matter if it's a worship leader, no matter who it is in leadership, when someone feels like their sin, like the leader's sin, is greater than theirs, like everybody should be in a lifestyle of repentance. And for us to all be in a lifestyle of repentance, we have to admit there's sin in our life. No matter, no matter if you're a priest, a preacher, or evangelist, or whatever, you have sin. And Scripture tells us to confess our sins to one another, and we should be healed. A lot of times we're scared about the one another, what they're going to think. But Scripture says that we're missing out on healing if we don't do it. And, uh, and like you said, people's lives and lifestyles and their worldview crumbles when their pastors sin, and they fall apart. But really, they're humans, and they're being sanctified just like us. But we classify their sin as uglier than ours. When sin is just as ugly when you lie as it is when you kill somebody. It's sin. And it's ugly. And when it, it's fully grown, it gives way to death. That's what Scripture says. So we need to deal with it. Um, and we need to bring it out to the open because then it doesn't have its power. There's just something about being honest with who you are. I mean, the church literally, which is so funny when you actually think about it, the church, all these people that get a bad rap for being real judgmental 
and a lot of us can be. It's like an AA meeting. We're all admitted sinners. We're all like, yeah, we couldn't do it on our own. Sorry, I'm raising my hand to that. But for some reason, when we go to church, we feel like we have to have it all together. You know, we have to be the ones to tell the Joneses how to live their life and and how to fix their problems. But I think it's I think it's important for us to remember that everybody in the church admitted failures that we can't do life without a savior. And when we start holding ourselves, I don't know, when we start treating other people like their sin is worse than our sin, that's when you have a lot of fallout instead of going, man, sin sucks. It hurts. It divides. And it, I mean, like you, you went through it and you saw Jesus as condemning you and your family for having this stain of divorce. When in reality, it's just showing your humanity. Right. It wasn't Jesus condemning you. Jesus already paid for that mess. He already paid for my mess. Right. We got to spend more time showing love, reaching out, and embracing people that are failures because we're failures. Right. And I and I think this is. I heard this said once, and it really just like stuck with me. It's like, what as Christians, our our response usually is. Oh well, I saw that guy in the bar. Like he's definitely he's definitely had too many, or he's definitely fallen off the, the the cliff. Like he's definitely a sinner. Instead of instead of that though, like why isn't why isn't our response? No, like I go to church with that guy. That's not who he really is. Why why isn't it our response to defend the zeal of the Lord in other people? And because people are humans, and so even when we see people sinning. Our first response is, well, I guess they didn't, they weren't genuine, you know, or they aren't believers, or I guess they're just putting on a front. But why isn't it, no, like, I'm going to fight for the integrity of that person. You know, like, I'm going to talk to them instead of talk to everyone else about them. And because I know who they really are, and I know whose they are, and I'm going to fight with them for their commitment to the Lord, you know. But so many times it's the other way around. We're not saying, oh, man, that guy's such a good person. I know he's probably having a bad day. We're saying, oh, this must be who he is all the time, and uh, mm. and we're not we're not fighting for them, uh, we're fighting against each other, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. Accountability is supposed to be a healthy thing, but we turn accountability into this judgmental separation instead of personal confrontation. And personal confrontation isn't easy and it's uncomfortable, but it's worth it because if you love someone, you're not going to let them jump off a cliff. But what we do when we judge people are saying, look at them jumping off the cliff and how bad they are for jumping off of it. I think you nailed it. I think it's easier to ignore and judge because it's uncomfortable to get in and show love. It's it's vulnerable is what it is. And when you show up and you go, this is kind of a, a failing point. You know what? I'm not that great either, but like, let's do this together. Let's limp back up the hill. Let's get back on the path that we need to be on. It's it's easier to just go, I'm going to remove myself from the situation because I can't have my kids around you or I can't, I don't know what kind of music you listen to. I don't know. It's so, so It's just so easy to separate ourselves from that discomfort. It's almost like giving ourselves permission when we see somebody that's not living the way we are. It's so easy to separate ourselves because it's uncomfortable. That's just what it is. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm ready for Christians and I'm ready for myself. Like I'm preaching myself to you, but I'm just ready for us to, to be for each other, you know, and whatever it takes. Like, I don't know. Like I know my sis, I have two sisters and I know if, if they were about to jump off a cliff, I would do everything it took. I would drive as far as it took 
I would take as much time as it took to pull them off of the edge. But there's people all around us all the time and, and people in our backyard that or our neighbors or our coworkers that are jumping off a cliff all the time. And it's just easy for us to not do anything because it inconveniences us. But Scripture says that we're all brothers and sisters. So maybe we should actually start living like that. When the Bible talks about loving your neighbor, it's most definitely not just the person on either side of your house. It's literally people that do not believe what you believe. In fact, most of the time, it's definitely people that don't believe what you believe. When somebody's living a different lifestyle that makes us uncomfortable, it's just so easy to excommunicate and say, don't, don't get your dirt on my dirt. <laughs> right. You know, I, well, I take that, I take that scripture very literally. So loving my neighbor, like save my neighbor is a different religion than me. So instead of just pushing my religion on them, maybe I should actually get to know what their religion is about. Um, maybe I should know what the holidays they actually celebrate are, what the reasons they celebrate them are, what, what days they did do certain things, like what, what do they like to do? And, and so there's, I think the beautiful, most cool story to me in the Bible is the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was an awful man, like a Zac, and he was like a tax collector. People hated him. And when he came into town, he wrote, climbed this tree because the reputation of Jesus preceded him and he wanted to see him. And so I think as people who follow Jesus, our reputation should precede us in everything that we do in our lifestyle. So even our neighbors are going to be peeking over the fence to see what we're doing in our backyard every now and then. But the beautiful thing is that he didn't yell from the street and say, hey, get saved and I'll come hang out with you. He said, Zacchaeus, come down here. And I'm, I'm actually going to go to your house today and eat with you and spend time with you and show you that I care about you. And then, then after that happened, it says that Zacchaeus turned to repentance and said, I would give back everything that I've stole from people, and I will give double to the people that I've wronged. I just want to be right with you. And I think that's how we love our neighbor, um, is we we actually go to their house, and we live life with them, and we love them in a personal way. And then the truth, hopefully, the salt and light that we've been called to stands out enough for to show them who Jesus is and hopefully lead to repentance. shift from all this incredibly meaningful deep talk to talk about some fast food. How about that? <laughs> Perfect. Um, Dr. Pepper uh, just announced that it's it's being made available for a limited time starting May 1st, but it's Dr. Pepper Dark Berry. Are you in or are you out? I'm in. I like Dr. Pepper. I like Dr. Pepper with pizza. Yes. Yes. I don't know if I could do Dark I mean, is it dark cherry? Is that what you said? 
It's dark berry, whatever that means. But here's the thing, like Dr. Pepper is already made of, of, of like 23 different fruity flavors. So you throw in a berry, like, are you really going to notice? I'm really curious. I want to try it. Are you the kind of person that you get into any of the multicolor Mountain Dew flavors? Uh, I got into it a little bit, like a little, I, I didn't like collect them, but I definitely would drink them and try them. Uh, like the lightning or whatever. Uh, what I want, so I um, but yeah, I, I didn't get super into it. Did you? The white one was good. The orange one was good. Baja Blast can just disappear and never resurface again. That would be okay with me. Taco Bell will never let that one go. I don't, I don't feel like. No, it's going to be around forever, unfortunately. <laughs> Best reheated. What's a band that you listen to that you would consider old? But something that you still listen to now that you that holds up. So yeah, I would say Coldplay for sure. Uh, I feel like I still enjoy their music, even though it's definitely changed from what it used to be. But I still feel like they could still play a show in an arena in any town at any time and fill it up easily. Uh, that's that's my standards, like. A band that is just like a legendary band will be able to fill an arena with no problem at any time. And I feel like Coldplay is one of those that I, I listened to back in the day. And for me, that's back in the day. And that they could fill an arena at any time still. Uh, and, and they're doing it. But I, I feel like even 10 years from now, they'll be able to play anywhere at any time. And I feel like they'll be able to fill an arena. Hot and ready. What's a song that you're really into right now that's not one of your own? A uh, song that I'm really into. Uh, so I I was a big John Mayer back fan back in the day, and he has like a new song out that's good. Um, it's just a, I think it's called uh, I Just Feel Like. Sometimes I just feel like it's a great song. Um, but one of the songs that I listen to the most often. Actually, sorry, I'm gonna scrap all that. No, there is. There's a song I cannot stop listening to right now. I am a huge John Mayer fan. I was going to say In the Blood by John Mayer, which is definitely a song I listen to all the time. But there's a song by Brandy Carlisle called The Joke. And oh my gosh, that song is amazing. Um, it's just incredible in every way. Uh, I definitely recommend that you go listen to it. Going to put that on the list? Going to listen to it. And then be sure to follow us on social media, Hot Takeout Pod on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, so you can be in the know of when artists are going to be on the show, who's coming, so you can ask them questions, or you can just know when things are being given away. Either way, win, win, win. And speaking of getting your questions answered by the artist, next week's episode is pretty much all your questions being answered by Austin French. So make sure you subscribe so you can be alerted when that episode is out. And then also, if you like this episode, there's a real good chance you'd like the rest. And since the episode is now over, you could listen to one of those. Your call. Ah! Uh.